Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Liam Martin. He is the co-founder and CMO at Time Doctor and the co-organizer of Running Remote. Hey, Liam, how's it going? Pretty good. Excellent. You are a second-time guest on the show. We appreciate you coming back in and sharing some more things and seeing what you've learned since then. Yeah, and I've learned a lot, by the way. (laughs) Good. Yeah, when you first came on, it was like, I think it was even pre-COVID. So it was like before everything got crazy. Yeah, I tell a lot of my friends that are in the remote workspace, my the way that I identify whether or not someone is legit or not is mm-hmm. whether I knew them in the remote workspace before COVID. Oh, wow. That's kind of, that's the only bar now that you've <laughs> got to surpass. It's like, because when we went, I mean, we were February of 2020, 4% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. March of 2020, 45% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. It was a complete transition yeah. of everything that we kind of thought was normal in the work world completely changed. And for this little tiny kind of cottage industry of remote work advocacy, it just completely exploded. And (laughs) and you've probably gotten a ton of these emails as well. I get them too, which is like, listen, I'm a big shot in the remote workspace. I got to talk to you about this, you know, like (laughs) I got to have you on to running remote or you got to, you got to have me on to running remote and all this kind of stuff. And then I look at their, who is data, on their webpage for their consultancy. And it's like, they popped up three months ago, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a, di- it's definitely, there's a lot of um, charlatans that are popping out of the woodwork. So it's really important that I think the remote pioneers stick together. All right. Well, I'm excited. We, we'll be talking about a lot of things, but just to say it up front, we got running remote com- coming up. Was it May this year? May 17th and 18th in Montreal, Canada. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. I will be there and everyone else should come too because it'll be a blast of a party. Absolutely. But first, just to be sure you are a real human, not just a robot on here promoting your conference, Liam, uh, I need to ask you a question. Your capture question is, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? So I was going to say pistachio, mm. but I'm now thinking Rocky Road, actually. Uh, that's one of the components of being human is I'm indecisive. You change your mind, right? Yes. What makes you change from pistachio to Rocky Road? So I generally like nuts in my ice cream. Mm. And so if I'm going to have ice cream, it generally is going to have nuts in it. Like if you had a Venn diagram of ice cream that Liam eats and, you know, ice creams that contain peanuts, it's almost a perfect, a perfect circle. Uh, But pistachios are, I don't know, this kind of weird flavor component to it. And I do also like chocolate. And so Rocky Road has chocolate in it as well. So I was thinking I better cover all my bases. That would be probably the thing that I would eat. Like if I was going to have ice cream every day for the rest of my life, I would go with Mm. Rocky Road. If I was going to have, you know, if I could change my flavors, I would probably go with pistachio about 40% of the time. Why do they not combine pistachio with other ice creams? That would be awesome. (laughs) We should think about that. Maybe that's another business idea. Launch that at the conference. That's what we'll do. I think it'd get blown away if uh, all of a sudden I had uh, pistachio Rocky Road ice cream for everyone at the conference. Couldn't do that, but. Wild. Cool. There are other things to discuss. Let's jump into uh, remote work. Specifically, you've been thinking a lot about remote work for a long time. So now we're kind of into not just the stuff that everyone knows about, but into a little bit deeper conversations. 
obviously one of the big terms that you advocate for and many others do too is asynchronous work, uh, which we all know that just means we're, we're not working at the same time. So let's get into a little bit more. Why is it that you feel like, I mean, asynchronous and remote work are pretty much like they got to go hand in hand. It's hard to be successful remote if you're not doing asynchronous. But it is hard for a lot of the companies that are in this transition to make that switch. So tell us about what you found as you've seen this in the real world. So the first point to unpack there is asynchronous and remote work. Yes, we think that they go hand in hand, but the vast majority of people that are currently working remotely, the people that I refer to lovingly as pandemic panickers, don't understand this at all. And this is actually one of the biggest things that I think is a disconnect when people understand where remote work is coming from. And for people that are probably listening to this podcast, you're probably to a degree at least, able to kind of communicate that message to other people. You have some sort of a voice and you probably are a little bit deeper in the industry than than most regular people. Uh, It's so important to understand how asynchronous work and asynchronous management is not just a way to be able to run a business when you're working remotely, but I actually think asynchronous management can apply to an in-office environment and an out and off of an out of office environment uh, equally. I'm seeing a lot of this right now in the hybrid movement that's currently happening. The majority of the industry is moving hybrid, yep. and regardless of whether or not that's good or a bad idea, um, I think hybrid is probably the platform that can take advantage of asynchronous management the most out of remote on-premise and hybrid work agreements. Yeah. And you're saying asynchronous management specifically, as opposed to just asynchronous collaboration or other things. What is unique about the management side? So I studied, this was my COVID project. I had a a chat about two years ago with a book agent and uh, he said, you should write a book. And I said, I don't know how to write a book. (laughs) And he said, don't worry about it. I've got you. So two years later, We come up with this book, which is going to be coming out in about six months. And what I ended up doing is I studied all of these remote first pioneers, uh, mostly billion dollar plus technology companies, although we Mm -hmm. do have actually like physical brick and mortar companies as well that had a lot of their processes operating remotely, a lot of their people operating remotely. And the one thing that we found that they all had in common, almost, was asynchronous management. So the ability to not just execute on asynchronous work, but to have a managerial structure, uh, what we call the asynchronous mindset, to actually build a business without necessarily speaking to anyone. So we pose this in the book, and I know for a lot of your readers or listeners, it's probably, you know, remote 101, but we basically ask people this question. What if you could never speak to anyone inside of your company? How would you build it? And that's effectively asynchronous management. That's the process that was born out of the remote pioneers that can apply anywhere, uh, whether you're in an office or out of one. So as companies struggle to understand this, that are in these pandemic panickers, as you said, like you said, most of them are still working synchronously just with computer screens. Like they, they have live calls all day long. They're in live chats going back and forth. They haven't really learned how to let go of that. Why do you think that is? Is it just a cultural thing? It's just hard to change? Is async itself just such a different way of working that people struggle to adapt to it? What's your thought on that? So number one, there's a lot of ego connected to the way that businesses should be run. Um, I had a conversation with someone a couple months ago about this 
particular subject, someone who said, I can't wait to be able to get all my people to go back to the office. And I spoke to him at length for about an hour and we both came to the conclusion. The reason why he wanted to do that was because he had a 10 year office lease on this office that had, you know, he has a thousand people in his company. And to a degree, he really wanted to feel like a big shot. He likes being able to be in an environment where there are a whole bunch of people that he gets to tell them what to do. And uh, he, and again, he, he came to that conclusion on his own uh, without me kind of like juxtaposing it for him. <laughs> but I think that there's a lot to be said with regards to collaboration and the assumption that collaboration is or more collaboration is always better. Uh, one of the biggest counterintuitive bombs that I discovered in my research in looking at these remote pioneers was we've all come to a conclusion that more collaboration is not always better. And in some cases, actually, collaboration is detrimental towards the success of your organization. And so this is something that literally, like if you were open up a, an MBA textbook, <laughs> right? It would be like, collaboration, right? Like you've got to collaborate. That is the most important thing that you can do inside of an organization. And I wouldn't disagree with that statement, but it's how that collaboration is delivered is really important. And the vast majority of that collaboration can be performed asynchronously, which is what, as I said, the vast majority of these remote companies end up doing. All right. I think I'm with you, but make the case for collaboration being detrimental to getting great work done. So we found that there's an exponential cost-benefit analysis that you can deploy as it applies to collaboration. So if you step inside of an office or inside of a boardroom and you're going to do a meeting with somebody, the first hour of that meeting, or if you were planning on having the meeting be an hour, it would Mm. probably be pretty efficient. But then if you plan on that meeting being five hours long, the meeting expands into the space that you have to actually deploy it. So what we've recognized is you can actually get as much done in that first hour than you can in the five-hour meeting. And there are a lot of processes and procedures that asynchronous organizations employ to be able to basically minimize the amount of time that we're looking at synchronous versus asynchronous uh, communication. Inside of brick-and-mortar companies, there, and I think I've also recognized, again, some of these thoughts are kind of like a little bit unbaked, but everyone drives into one location every single day mm-hmm. in an on-premise organization, right? You each pay 90 minutes of your time to come to one single place. Then at that one single place, it's a collaboration buffet because there's a sunk cost. Everyone paid that 90 minutes to get into that single place. So yeah. why not collaborate as much as humanly possible? Asynchronous organizations have recognized, well, we're not paying that 90 minutes some cost every single day. So we don't actually have to collaborate as much as humanly possible. We can have taken a la carte method. We can say, well, maybe we wanna collaborate here. Maybe we don't wanna collaborate there. So if there's no gun at your head, right? Saying, hey, we have to actually go mm. into a physical meeting space to be able to meet about absolutely everything. Then you actually discover that you don't actually need to meet about the vast majority of things. You can actually communicate that information in much more efficient ways, which focuses everyone on deep work and individual autonomy, as opposed to uh, everyone kind of getting in a room and working out whether or not we should have blue uh, markers or red markers on the whiteboard. I have been in a meeting like that, by the way. 
this idea of sunk cost is is really intriguing. I've never thought about it in that way, in the sense of like, hey, we're already here, therefore we're going to use the most expensive kind of collaboration, which is everyone together in a meeting at the same time. Like we will use it for everything, like because we can. It's right here. We don't have to worry about it. Whereas if I'm sitting at my home and or sitting somewhere else and trying to get work done, like that's a big ask to say, hey, can you come on this hour long meeting? It's like I don't know, man. I got other stuff to do. But if I'm already there at the office, it's like, what else am I going to do? Like, we're all here anyway. Let's get this out of the way and go on. It's great. How many people do you pull out of deep work mm. in that meeting? And so someone was just about to actually have a huge breakthrough personally and achieve a huge return for the company. But you actually grabbed them five minutes before they could achieve that great breakthrough for the company. And now they're sitting in a three-minute marker meeting. Yeah. Uh, a three-hour market meeting. I mean, it, it's horrible. Uh, and this happens all the time. And those disruptions towards your productivity, yes, they seem like you're moving faster in the short term, but actually long-term organizationally, you're moving way, way slower. Yeah. Um, I think about this when the Romans, which were responsible for a lot of great things and bad things, but one of the best things that they were responsible for was um, the rise of the military. The numerals things? Yeah, the, the, the ancient Romans. <laughs> They were the first standing army in the world. Before that point, basically, you just had a whole bunch of people get together and you said, hey, okay, everyone get your pikes and get your get your swords and we're going to go out and we're going to try to kill the enemy. And then they went back to whatever the hell they were doing after the fact. But the Romans actually had a permanent armed forces um, that were operating on on a constant basis. And yes, that was incredibly expensive to be mm -hmm. able to have that type of asset sitting there. But long-term, what it provided was, if it's your job to be a soldier, you're way better than some guy that just got pulled off the, you know, the farm fields and was given a pike and said, hey, go stab that guy. This is what I'm saying when we're talking about the short-term versus long-term advantages. If you actually operate your business with an asynchronous philosophy, you're going to be much more effective long-term because everyone is going to be able to optimize towards autonomy and deep work. I think too about what you said before in terms of the ego factor, because I think that a lot of collaboration is just this, it feels good. Like it feels good to, when you get out of those day long meetings, like, whew, man, we did it. Like we, we nailed it. It was great. When you look at that Slack channel and it's just like popping, everything's going in. It's like, that feels like work. And it feels like work even from an ego sense to say like, I got all these people in this office that'll do whatever I say right now. I can yell at them from across the room and make it happen. So I think some of it is like the, the question when we first started to move to, you know, in, in the pandemic was like, hey, how do I know my people are still going to be productive? And I think the question underneath that was how am I still going to feel like I'm like in control and controlling all that and have those other signals? Yeah. So I think you broke down busy versus productive. Yeah. Being busy is not being productive. Um, putting in your 12 hours a day is not being productive. We actually have a lot of data that supports that a 12-hour workday is incredibly detrimental towards your overall output um, and will actually end up pulling down your output in comparison to someone that's working eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the fundamentals of what we're talking about here, it's about really saying we need to be able to have detailed metrics. So we need to be able to to be measuring as much as humanly possible um, so that everyone can optimize their own personal 
productivity. Really focusing everyone on deep work, which is a fantastic book by Cal Newport. Um, it's one of the most referenced books that I came across in studying all of these remote first entrepreneurs that are incredibly successful. The goal of your organization should be to be able to optimize everyone towards a state in which they can accomplish really difficult ideas and they have everything available to them in order to actually accomplish it. And generally, that means not actually interacting with synchronous forms of management. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is inside of our organization, the actual platform is the manager the vast majority of the time. So we have a massive wiki where we have all of our process documents. We have project management systems where you can get access to when decisions were made. We have information available to every single employee that effectively makes them as informationally at, they, they put, they have an information advantage almost to the same degree as the CEO of the company. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they can actually make decisions that, you know, the CEO would have made uh, without the actual CEO sitting down and making those particular decisions. So you're really breaking down all of those barriers. And this is a very difficult chasm for a lot of business owners to cross. But I honestly think this is a horse and buggy versus model T moment that we're mm. currently experiencing right now. And I think that probably within the next five years, you're going to see the vast majority of these companies operating remotely that are in like the S&P 500 as an example. And I think the majority of those are probably going to be working on an asynchronous uh, work model. And a lot of the writing and talks that we do, we try to give like a little bit of a percentage to just let people understand what's going on and what's a good goal to. So I just want to, based on your research, I'd like to get your feedback. I've been advocating for, hey, you should lean towards the synchronous parts of your day, which means, you know, meetings and live chats should like try to get that down to about 20% or less is what I put out as a goal to put out there. What's your thought on that? Is that, you know, too much, too little? I would generally agree with that. So I would love to actually do some studies so that we can actually pull this directly back to output. Yeah. But what I would do is batch your distractions into one single part of your day. Right. So instead of saying 20% or 30%, whatever the percentage is, I spend about three hours a day communicating synchronously with my direct reports. Yeah. As an example, that's the time that I spend communicating synchronously with people. Yeah. And, and also, too, inside of that, we do things like, um, uh, company addresses as an example, but we record those asynchronously. So we actually right. record those videos, we edit them, and then we put them out for everybody. Uh, and then people can listen to them on Zoom or they can listen to them as a recording um, after the fact. But I would say batch it. So I usually have Monday afternoons as my time to be able to communicate synchronously with the vast majority of our team members. And if there's any big problems that pop up during that time, then Obviously, uh, we, we try to redirect it towards Mondays. There are situations that are obviously out of our control this week, uh, and I don't know when this is going to go live, but Ukraine was invaded by Russia, and I ended up having to do a lot of very quick work to be able to try to make sure that all of our Ukrainian team members are safe yeah. and are where they need to be. Obviously, those are instances in which synchronous work is inefficient but the fastest way to actually get things done. Um, but yeah, I would probably say 20% is a good one. And then more importantly, if you can batch it and you can right. really sit down and say, I'm going to work on a very difficult problem for six hours. If you can 
as often as you can do that, and as often as you can empower every single team member inside of your organization to be able to do that, that's the secret towards growing a business. Nice. All right, let's transition to what I have found to be the best, not necessarily argument against remote work, but the most pressing challenge looking towards the future. And that's, a, so I was at a, a talk and somebody said, look, remote is a privilege that you earn when you're in the middle of your career, you know what to do. And if somebody leaves you alone for six hours, you know what to do with that time. You're going to be great at it. And you, you have that focus as opposed to somebody who's coming up They're They're new in their career. They're fresh. I see a lot of people who are concerned about people at that stage of their career, working remotely from their parents' house or wherever, and not getting the time that other people had to sit next to somebody, to see how that was worked, to learn all the things that don't show up in manuals, but uh, the osmosis learning that happens. Uh, what have you found other companies have done to try to navigate this? Well, I think that there's a big assumption there that management needs to be done synchronously. Like inside of that entire statement, you're assuming management must at all times be synchronous. And I'll give you an example of uh, me res researching <clears throat> GitLab and doing a lot of interviews with GitLab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I probably did about four or five hours of interviews with the GitLab people. Um, and they actually got a little frustrated with me <laughs> because I would ask them a question on Zoom and they would respond with a URL, <laughs> which is like, oh, well, here's how we do it. Okay, but how do you do it? Well, it's in the URL. Uh, okay, can we talk about it for two minutes? No, I can't. It's in the URL. Like, let's talk about something else that's more valuable during our time here. Let's talk about something that isn't already documented so that yeah. we can actually make this time as efficient as humanly possible. So I actually think in the future, 10 years from now, we're really going to get away from the concept that we currently have right now of management. And instead, it's going to look a lot more like leadership. So when I speak to my direct reports, I don't talk to them about where they're getting their numbers from uh, because all of their numbers are already documented. And we've clearly identified what the goals are for those individual team members and what they need to achieve and whether or not they're on target or off target. It's all documented asynchronously. And I've consumed that information before I actually sit down with them for the meeting. What I instead really focus on is um, one of my team members, her dog died and her kids are having a real difficult time of it. And they're, you know they're really going through some difficult issues and this is impacting her work. That's what I talked about uh, this week for about 45 minutes. Those are the things that you need to be able to talk to. That's what you can provide as a way to be able to boost an individual worker's productivity, as opposed to show and tells, how are your numbers? Where did you get those numbers from? Uh, are those numbers good? And then more importantly, at the end of that meeting, now I'm going to go tell my boss those numbers. And mm -hmm. then my boss is going to go tell his boss or her boss, those numbers, and this stupid game of telephone that just doesn't make any sense. Everyone in our organization, I can look at what their core quantifiable metrics are within about two minutes. Mm. Um, so there's no discussion, right? I can say, well, why are Vaishali's numbers not where they need to be, Lauren? It looks like she's going through some real trouble. What can we do to be able to help her? Um, long-term get to back to where she was before. Those are the types of conversations that we have. We don't have a, uh, yeah, these, these kind of synchronous games of telephone, which are really detrimental towards overall productivity. 
But how do you translate that into like a skill development, a learning development? If somebody really does, if let's say they're a designer and the difference between somebody sitting at home once or twice a week, they check in with a senior designer to get their work looked at versus sitting next to that designer five days a week, seeing what they do, getting instant feedback, obviously a more inefficient way to run a company. But is that, are we making a trade-off? It's a more inefficient way for, so it's not a more inefficient way for the company. It's a, like when you have that person sitting next to that designer, mm-hmm. it's more efficient for those two designers. It's mm-hmm. not more efficient for the company. Mm-hmm. That's what I really wanted to kind of reinforce is when you look at the way that these interactions really occur, it's building rapport. It's, mm-hmm. you know, having people that are part of your tribe that are part of your culture. And I am a huge proponent of that. Uh, we actually, this afternoon, I'm going to put on my Oculus Rift and we have Oculus Rift Friday afternoons where we all meet in the metaverse and, you know, we play shoot 'em up games together. It has nothing to do with work, right? Yeah. But it's just something that we voluntarily do. And the, the investment that we made was getting everyone the headsets. And then we basically said, well, you guys do whatever the hell you want to do with it. And we're measuring the output of that, which is the dividend, which is how often do they actually meet with other team members from the company and not necessarily talk about work, but kill zombies, uh, as an example. That's how you can actually build that type of mentorship. And that can lead to another conversation that might lead to something else. Um, but having that designer sit down with that other designer is such a pull on their overall productivity when the vast majority of that conversation is probably redundant. And they probably only need two to three hours um, per week as opposed to the 20, 30 hours that I think we see in the corporate world right now. There's also this kind of, there's this belief that just because someone doesn't have that much experience doesn't mean that they can not find answers to their own problems. Mm-hmm. And I think this is also kind of comes out of the, I'll call it like nineties manager. So generally I see this with people that like when they really became a manager, they became a manager during the nineties and they completely missed the like, basically the Wikipedia generation, right? The, the generation, which is just like, okay, well, how do I, um, how do I create this video edit? Mm. Google it, dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is not my, what, why are you coming to me talking? Like, yes, I know the answer to that question, but did you spend two minutes looking for the answer? Let's actually spend our time working on deeper issues that are really going to be problematic. Like, how do I actually convince Neil that my idea is the best idea? Mm-hmm. That's what we should be spending our time on, not how do you do a video edit as an example. And even those skills though, like how to, how to have those negotiations in those live meetings and how to be convincing. Like, I think there's a long way to go to help people understand those things. And I think, like you said, right now, there is a internet full of information out there and YouTube is very huge and what it can train people to do. Yeah, I think the next 10 years, we're going to see what I like to call the rise of the introvert leader. Hmm. So I think you're going to have, because synchronous meetings are really advantageous towards charismatic individuals. Mm-hmm. So you have a group of eight people, you've got a six foot one 
Captain America looking type guy that's incredibly good looking and he has a horrible idea. But because he's so charismatic and he's really good at delivering that messaging, everyone goes with that idea. Inside of an asynchronous meeting, it's all through text. You've got to get much better at communicating in textual formats. And more importantly, a lot of the introverted people that may actually have much better ideas that are able to sit down and really think about what they want to talk about, really write it out and provide really good arguments to why they think their idea is the best. I think you're going to have a lot of more of those ideas um, being taking root yeah. inside of an organization as opposed to the synchronous charismatic leader, which we've, uh, we've had, uh, we had a, a quick section in the book, which was um, the guy that started uh, WeWork. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if I can't remember his name right now. It escapes me, but we used him as a perfect example of the charismatic synchronous leader. Mm -hmm. uh, WeWork raised over half a billion dollars. Uh, it was probably one of the largest companies in 2019. They were going to IPO it. I think it was 75 billion. Then they dropped their IPO down to 40 billion and then their IPO completely collapsed. Um, and it was because honestly, and, and I hope that WeWork is not one of your sponsors. Uh, WeWork was, you know, vaporware. Um, it was entirely based off the charisma of this incredibly charismatic individual that uh, Adam Newman, uh, that ended up building such a massive, massive company. Well, charisma only gets you so far. What you really need to do is focus on the fundamentals. And that's what the vast majority of asynchronous leaders uh, currently do. Well, I've enjoyed this a lot, Liam. It's, it's been fun to dive deep into these discussions. And I think if anyone else out there is feeling like, yeah, they want to, this is like getting them excited, then we got to get, we got to meet synchronously once a year at least, right? Do do some kind of conferencing to get together. So where should people go if they want to learn more about the conference? Go to runningroad.com. Uh, the conference is May 17th and 18th, and it's really designed for the business leaders, founders, and operators of remote first organizations or organizations that want to transition towards remote and hybrid work policies, because uh, those are the people that I think are really going to be the tip of the spear over the next couple of years and understanding where this entire movement goes. Excellent. And be on the lookout for your book coming out later this year, right? August 16th. Hopefully we get it out. Well, I mean, we're going to get it out, but uh, it's been a challenge. I'm never writing a book ever again. <laughs> it was the worst experience of my professional career, to be completely honest with you. I don't know if you've ever been up since two, like three o'clock in the morning trying to work on a paragraph, but it's, <laughs> it was, it was hard work, but I hope that uh, everyone enjoys it. Anyone that comes to the running remote conference will be able to get access to a free copy of the book or a couple actually. Excellent. Well, cool. Liam, it's been great to have you on again. Uh, we look forward to uh, the next time. Thanks for having me. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you find it. Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice a month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level five digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.